Well, good day, Adzi. How are you, T-Bone? Fucking great. That's the way, mates. What's going on? Well, mates, uh, I was just packing me board bag over here. I think I might move to North Korea. What? Mate, I was just watching a documentary on uh, Netflix last night, and uh, North Korea, the communist government, they give each male uh, beer tickets, five litres per month on the government. Beer tickets? Beer tickets, mate, for free, and I thought, well... No one's giving me free beer over here. Well, I'll tell you what, Adzi. And, uh, mate, I, f- I figure there's probably plenty of uncrowded surf over there too. Not many surfers and uh, free beer. Anyone want to come with me? Mate, I wouldn't mind going to North Korea, but I might just stay here because I've been enjoying just lately uh, Cheeky Monkey beer. Cheeky Monkey beers are delicious. What about you, T-Bone? Well, guess what, Adzi? This episode is brought to you by... Cheeky Monkey Beer, you beauty. Yoo-hoo. And they've got a new double IPA hazy coming out. We'll have a crack at that. Maybe I'll unpack me bags and get up to their vast brewing facility. Oh, get Don- Dennis Robin on the phone. Let's get him <laughs> over here. Barrel Surf Podcast. My name is T-Bone. Happy to be here and uh, right beside me is Yelling Up's own single fin core lord, Ads Kennedy. How are you, Ads? Yeah, good T-Bone. It's good to be in your office here on a Saturday night at a different time zone than we're normally used to. A little nine o'clock start tonight. Bit late for us old boys. <laughs> we're normally tucked up in bed, aren't we? <laughs> but we've got a special guest and uh, we're, we're casting ourselves into a different time zone to get him on. Tell we, us who it is, Stephen. We are, mate. We have a special guest. This guy needs no introduction. He's got more accolades than I've than I've had cut dinners. I mean, seven double XL award wins, two Maverick titles, three times big wave world champion, surfboard designer, rock and roll bar owner, Ooh. family man, Grant Twiggy Baker. Welcome to Barrel Surf Podcast. Yes, how's it? How's it, guys? Bloody good. Mate, state for you to uh, join us on, on the Barrel Surf podcast. Uh, mate, just for our listeners, whereabouts are you? Where is home for uh, Grant Twiggy Baker? So I'm home at, at the moment. I live in Belito, which is about an hour up the north coast from Durban. So we call it the north coast of uh, KwaZulu-Natal. Um, it's about four hours from the uh, Mozambique border further north. And below us, we've got the... Beautiful south coast, then we got the Transcar, and then you go through kind of East London down to J Bay, Garden Route down to Cape Town. So that kind of gives you an idea of, of the location. Right. It's just absolutely so stacked, that coast with waves, isn't it? Like you're forever just putting up clips of you where you're just doing like little, looks like little day or two trips running down the coast and setting up. Just, I mean, and then you go up the other side of, uh, Cape Town and up the other coast and the West Coast. The West Coast, yeah. And it's just bloody, it's just waves everywhere, isn't there? In South Africa, it's such a crazy place. Yeah, very similar to Australia, I think. Uh, similar swell directions. Um, right now, we're getting uh, our swells from the east for up here. So, really good for Mozambique and the North Coast here where I am. Um, and then, as winter kind of sets in, uh, then the South Coast Transcar starts. Uh, 
getting better and better, May, June. And yeah. then I like Cape Town kind of July into August and then the West Coast um, end of August, September. But yeah, our West Coast is almost exactly the same as yours. Um, very similar kind of waves, very similar beach breaks and slabs and reefs and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, we don't have a single surfer on the coast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty maybe, crazy. Maybe a few great whites in the water, maybe. Yeah, Compensate. <laughs> no so, more than yours. You've taken over the you've taken over the mantle as the great. We've done pretty well over the last sort of ten years, no yeah. doubt about that. Um, so, uh, is that where you grew up? Like where you are now? Is that where you're born and bred? Yeah, I'm born and bred uh, north of Durban. Um, our waves here are they they they're quite dumpy, um, you know, inshore type of um, setups. Whereas once you get down to the south coast, it becomes more point break style waves, where ours is more kind of beach break with rocky outcrops, uh, uh, very heavy, like top to bottom barreling waves, a lot of closeouts, but then you've got, you know, you find the banks along the coast and you, uh, uh, that's where, you, you know, you can find a good wave around. But uh, I think growing up here really helped me, you know, uh, in, in learning how to, that steep takeoff, yeah. quick off the bottom, hold your line mid-face, turn into the barrel, which uh, has helped me as the waves has got, have got bigger and bigger. You know, uh, obviously, once I got to Porto Escondida, I felt very comfortable there. Mavericks is that same kind of, um, you know, uh, body movement uh, uh, that you need for Mavericks, Jaws, all of them kind of I learned right here in my backyard. So who, got, who got you into surfing? Um, my oh, family was always very beach orientated. My uh, dad wasn't a surfer, but he loved to uh, body surf and he was a very keen fisherman. So from a young age, we would travel up and down the coast yeah, and he would be fishing and I would be surfing. And, uh, uh, you know, we'd go to very remote locations, places like Mapalan and into the southern Mozambique and stuff like that. So that's kind of where I got my love for isolated wave surfing, you know, by myself from a very young age. And uh, We've got plenty of those here. Um, yeah. He never quite told me about the sharks, but I always remember him catching sharks. And then I'd say, "Are you sure it's okay for me to surf?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, sharks. Humans aren't on the menu." <laughs> no way. Yeah. Back then they weren't really, but not so much. But um, where, where, whereabouts did you get your first ever wave twig? Like you, where you got clean face? Can you remember that? Um, yes. So uh, we used to go on family holidays down to Hermanus which is um, the same, the other side of the Khan Spy Bay. And uh, now Khan Spy is famous as that great white um, <laughs> uh, breeding ground where yeah. before the orcas came, where all the di cage diving and everything was, it's like, you know, world famous place. And the other side of the bay is Hermanus. And we used yeah. to go on our family holidays there. My grandparents had a, had a, a, a live down there and um, yeah, I remember starting there on a skim board, boogie board, and then my first kind of surfboard. It all happened down there on our, on our Christmas holidays. So, and that was between kind of five and eight years old. Yeah, cool. Did you ever um, go into any contests when you were a lottie? Uh, yeah, no, I, I represented um, uh, the, my province here. Um, I, I did quite well in one or two QSs back in the day. They had them at J Bay and stuff. I, I made it through a few heats, but. Uh, uh, not, I wasn't, you know, contest for me, set dates, you had to be at a certain beach and then 
you know, an hour down the coast, the waves are pumping. That used to drive me insane. So yeah, that didn't last long. It would have been a bit bit hard turning up. So you know, you mentioned a, a few big wave locations before. You know, when you know, as you're growing up into your teens or early twenties, when did it sort of um, sort of a, something click in your head that you sort of had a had a liking for the bigger type ways? When did you sort of graduate into the bigger stuff, and who sort of helped you along your way? I think um, I grew up surfing a lot on the Durban beachfront. Um, I spent a lot of time there. I had a great, crazy group of friends that I grew up with, just a bunch of madmen, like 10 of us that used to roam around together. And we all loved it when the waves got bigger. And obviously that peer pressure and that, that uh, camaraderie and that, uh, you know, wanting to one-up each other um, in everything in life. I mean, you know, girls on the beach, the party at night, everything. We were just a wild group of guys. And... Uh, <laughs> That's kind of where it started. Sounds like pretty good times. Uh, Jeez, sounds all right. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. And it was right there, kind of between 1990 and 2000, where, um, you know, the change of government in South Africa, um, obviously none of us supported the apartheid uh, regime. Uh, you know, we, we saw it for, for what it was. And, I mean, a surfer on the beach was, um, you know, fair game for the, Afrikaner policemen as much as anyone. So, uh, you know, back then the country was wild and free. It was lawless and uh, we were having a good time. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, just starting there with that group of friends and then moving up and down the coast, you know, Durban is, at its biggest gets 10 foot Hawaiian. Then you go to Cave Rock and it's kind of 12 feet. Um, and then holidays, I used to go on holidays. My aunt Sharon lived in uh, Jeffrey's Bay. Uh, so every holiday I could during winter, I would go down there and, uh, you know, that got a little bit bigger and, um, you know, 12 feet, 15 feet maybe. And down there in J Bay was where I met the, um, the Cape Town guys because they used to come up. I used to go down Ooh, oh, and yeah. uh, like Davy Stolf, Mickey Duffus, uh, those guys saw me enjoying the bigger waves in J Bay and they would be like, hey, you like big waves? Come and see us in Cape Town. So well, there's a few um, down there. Oh, yeah, oh. that's kind of how, how it started. And, and Mickey Duffus and Davey Stock were a big influence on me because once I got to Cape Town, they kind of took me around, showed me their waves, uh, taught me about bigger boards and, and, and what, you, you know, what you needed. And uh, yeah, I mean, then the story kind of carries on because then Big Wave Africa started in Cape Town and I got an invite and that's where I met Greg and Rusty Long, Mark Healy, Grant Washburn in particular. And Grant Washburn was like, oh, you like dungeons? You're gonna love Mavericks. <laughs> what sort of and, boards yeah. were you riding back back then in Big Wave Africa? What what were you riding? Who was shaping your boards? Um, it took me a long time to kind of get onto really big boards. I, I rode nine O's as my biggest board for many years. Um, you know, I won a few events on on nine O's. That first Mavericks event I won in 2006 was on an 810. Um, uh, but my boards for Cape Town, I always worked with a, a shaper here called Baron Stander. Um, right from like 1990, as I started, you know, uh, being able to afford uh, new boards and uh, he was just starting out surfing. So uh, we teamed up and uh, yeah, I would just go down to Cape Town, see what the guys are riding, come back and we'd talk it through and, and get some boards made. He was actually the perfect shaper um, because he was a self-professed uh under four feet guy. He doesn't like big waves at all. So oh, he was one like that, eh? <laughs> don't, you, don't you reckon? It's I know true. heaps of shapers that, and they're good, mate. Who cares? Like they're good blokes and stuff, you know. Like no, he was perfect. 
You know? He was perfect because uh, he would listen to what I had to say. He, he, he didn't really have, you know, kind of his own influence in it. Obviously, he was a fantastic shaper and he had his ideas, but he would really listen to what I'd say. So um, it's, yeah. And from there, eventually, you know, we got onto the shape 3D and that really transformed everything because then you could go out, test the board and come back and redesign it right there and then. And um, I mean, so I'm, I'm back working with Baron now and we're making some beautiful boards again. Classic. I was actually going to ask you about Twig Surfboards and, and how that all came about. Um, yeah, well, so... That was, kind of, <laughs> that was kind of a more of a selfish thing about... I, I just... You can't travel around the world with 10-foot boards, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought, well, how can I get similar boards all around the world? And then I thought, well, you know, with Shape 3D, send the files to, to the shapers. They make them up. And when I get there... Uh, they're they're ready yeah. um and then it was just you know uh, obviously it was it was quite difficult to find shapers who were going to use somebody else's files first of all mm-hmm. um you know uh, most of them are doing their own thing but uh you know over the years i just uh, built up a relationship obviously bushman in, in hawaii uh we've been friends for many years he's been out to south africa often so so that was an easy one uh Pukas in um europe um, a good friend of mine, Adur, you know, uh, we surfed together over there for a few years. And then uh, obviously that was seamless. Uh, Von Boards there in West Australia. Obviously Ryan with yeah. the South African background and connection. That yeah. was an easy one. I was going to say, I've seen, um, there's actually quite a few twig boards kicking around the lineups down here. So that probably explains why, because Von Surfboards is 20 minutes up the road from us. So, um, yeah, I've yeah, seen so he, him there. He did yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, 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 so he gets my files. For instance, uh, Vaughn gets my files every year, as does, does all the other shapers. So there's Climax in uh, in, in South America. Uh, Vaughn, um, Baron here through the Hurricane guys, Pukas and Bushman. Um, and now Iconoclast, uh, Mike Wattis in, in California. They get my file updated files every year. They make all make me a quiver, which I then go and ride and test. I haven't been able to get to WA for a while. Um, but uh, uh, they make up, make me up a quiver. I go and I test the quiver, and then because each shaper puts their own personality in there, mm-hmm. and Bushman's obviously putting in stuff that uh, is good for Hawaii, you know, the Pukas guys for Europe, and so on and so forth. Um, but I can take each uh, the ideas from each shaper that work, because that's that's where I'm good with it. I can ride that board, and while I'm riding it, I'm always thinking back to the. To the, to the shape 3d program and, and how the board's working in relation to that and um i can then take those little su- subtle differences and put them back into shape 3 the ones that work i put it, i put them in the ones that don't work i can take out and then the following year those six shapers get all the combined information from all of them back again in the new files so it's quite a unique um situation and i don't know anyone else who's, who's operating their, their surfboards like that but uh I think it's a big reason, you know, I'm not, there's by no means I'm, I'm the most uh, skillful surfer, big wave surfer of the last 10 years. And I think my boards have been a big reason why I've been able to beat better surfers than I, than I am in, in big waves, you know? Yeah. It's a pretty cool little setup you got there, mate. You're saying that the, and I don't have to carry boards around the world anymore. They're waiting yeah, for me. Mate, you can always leave, leave a couple in my shed, mate. No worries. Plenty of room in there. Greg's I'll make you one. You, do you ride single fins exclusively or what? Oh, most of the time. But uh, mate, there's a couple of big singlies in there for you. But now I think Greg's still storing, Greg Long's still storing his uh, 
famous 7-2 in there from about 2001. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it'll go that good anymore. I think things have changed a bit. <laughs> but mate, um, yeah, plenty of room, mate. Leave, leave a few in there. We can ride them for you every now and then. Not a problem, mate. We're just—I yeah. was just talking to T Bone. He needs a bigger board. He's only got a six ten as his biggest. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah, it was seven two. Oh, are you a shaper, T Bone? Are you a shaper? No, I'm not, mate. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I should be though. I should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, mate. What I wanted to ask you, Twig, you're saying that the shape you get the same, you know, template or whatever, and and each shape puts his own little twist on it. Like, what in a board that's like nine foot eight or or whatever? Like, what what's the difference between your board for Jaws and your board for Mavericks? Is that a different board, or is it are they the same, or and it's different Hawaii versus Europe or something? Um. Yeah, Mavericks, for some reason, you've got all the speed you need at Mavericks, uh, just the way the bowl stands up and how, how steep and that, the speed is instantaneous. Um, so uh, Mavericks, it's all about control in the board. So you're going to make your rails a little bit softer, a um, uh, little bit more uh, rocker for, uh, for Mavericks, obviously for that steep takeoff. Um, just, yeah, subtle design, you know, not so much concave, whereas Jaws, for some reason, the speed isn't instantaneous on a lot of the waves, and you have to get up and going to to kind of project through the west bowl. So oh, there, you want going off the back the whole time, I guess. On a, <laughs> <laughs> those winds, you're just flying. But yeah, go on. Sorry. So Mavericks, you, I mean, uh, Jaws, you you're really looking for more speed out of your board, you know. So that's why a lot of guys will ride quads. A lot of guys will put more concaves in their boards, um, and but you know, there's always that balance between speed and control. And that's that's where a good big wave board comes in to, to really find that balance because it's all good having as much speed as you as, as you need, but if you don't have the control for that speed, it's going to be a problem. And also vice versa, if you if you you know too much control on the board, it's going to take away speed. So there's really that that balance there. And nowadays, there's maneuverability too. You know that rail has got to work on the takeoff and it's got to project you through the bell. And um, it's also nice to, to to have a board that's nice and loose and you can turn it off the top as well. I mean, things so, are changing. So, Twig, that that ten o board that you uh, just put up in your Instagram actually um, taken off on that outer reef on, in Hawaii. What are the dimensions and the fin setup on, on something like that? What's your typical sort of setup? So, backhand, I like thrusters just to give you a little bit more of a pivot point. Um, I prefer th thrusters at nine out of ten waves. A wave like Porto Escondida, I'll ride a quad with just takeoff, pull in, kick out. But generally, I'm on thrusters because I like a pivot point. I like that pivot point. I find sometimes that uh, a quads are a little bit too parallel. Um, uh, so that's it's a thruster setup. It's a 10 hour. I think that one is 21 and a half by three and three quarters. Uh, it's got a flat deck on that. It's a new uh, flat deck with a lower rail. So with the flat deck, we can uh, um, get the same volume, same paddle power. Um, but a little bit narrower, a little bit thinner, and we can just refine it a little bit more. So I'm really loving the flat decks now. From my step up right through my big wave boards, I'm only riding with the flat deck um, uh, a model going forward. Um, and also with the flat deck, obviously if you're on a dome deck and you're going, uh, can you guys see that? You're going yeah. toe to heel. Yeah. The reaction time is a little bit shorter than on a flat deck toe to heel, right? It's much more instantaneous. Mm. And it, you might think, oh, well, it doesn't make that much difference, but on a big board, it actually does. It just makes them feel a little bit more lively and a little bit more 
yeah, just basically just alive, you know, and, and responsive. And uh, it's a great feeling. And especially on the on the step up boards from 6.0 to 7.0, I'm really loving that that kind of just the more instantaneous uh, reaction time out of out of the board. So yeah, just interesting stuff. And I'm always testing new boards. Uh, today I wrote a 6.3 with a flat deck, super low pinched rails and a chime in, in the rail, which is that another step on the bottom of the rail. Uh, and it went like shit and didn't work. So now we know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sweet. How much have boards, big wave boards changed over the last 10 years or even 20 years? I mean, are they oh, no, it's, uh, huge? It's, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, been a monumental change. And you can see it in the surfing, you know, the surfing. I mean, if you've been watching, you know, what Billy Kemp and Carlini and those guys, Nathan Fletcher and those guys are doing, Peter Mel, she's, I mean, amazing. That, that um, you know, that's all up to the boards, you know. And uh, I mean, you know, that whole banana board, big rocker, super narrow, thin, long boards of the past was really um, hindering our performance. And as yeah. we flattened the rockers out and widened the nose and widened the tail and, and I mean, the bottom contours have made a huge difference. You know, um, all the boards used to be V, very slow. Uh, 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 now, we, now we're dealing with slight, slight V with double uh, concaves right through the boards, uh, deeper and shallower depending on which wave. Um, it's, uh, it's a monumental change and uh, it's, you can definitely see it in the, in, the, in the performances. And each year the boards are getting better. I mean, these new flat decks this year, I mean, my surfing went you know, stepped up a whole nother notch and I, and I saw it from a lot of guys, uh, Lucas Chumbo, you know, Kai, they were all riding flat deck boards and they were surfing a lot better. Interesting. Some serious bloody toothpicks getting around in the <laughs> 90s, weren't they? They were some pretty long, sharp looking things, weren't they? They were, they were. <laughs> um, Twig, you mentioned Davey Stolk and a few other guys that you met down in Cape Town and, and when you did that big wave uh, Africa event. Um, so tell me some of your first experiences when you left South Africa to chase big swells. Where did you go? Who did you hang out with? How did... Okay, so before, you know, before the, uh, uh, before Big Wave Africa, which only started in the 2000s, um, I actually spent a couple of uh, seasons uh, kind of doing Indo and then down through WA. I think that's where I, when I first met you, Ads. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I spent a couple of seasons in, in WA and that gave me my first taste, but where I really uh, kind of cut my teeth in big ways was at a spot called Bauer in Indonesia. Oh, classic. So yeah. from the early 90s, kind of right through the 90s, I used to go every year for six weeks and camp out at, at Bauer yeah, sometime yeah. between May and July. And obviously and, uh, hitting Nias as well at the same time on a mission like that, wouldn't you? Or? Yeah, obviously, as soon as Bauer got too big, we'd go across to Nias. Um, and I mean, Asu was an incredible wave before, and Bauer before the, the you know, I still say Bauer was the, the best wave in the world before the, uh, before wow. the earthquake. And, really? Uh, That's I used awesome. to surf, no, it was an incredible wave. I mean, did you surf there before that? No, no, I've never surfed it. No. If you were a big wave guy, Bauer, I mean, you know, you could go there for a month and it would be between six and 15 feet for a month. It would just really? pump and it had insides, outside your takeoff, on these big peaks and you could do like three or four S turns and then set up an inside bowl. It was just amazing. Um, almost like a perfect sunset beach. So for a big wave guy, I mean, other people would prefer other ways, but for a big wave guy, I think that was, that was, you know, Storm is my favorite wave. Just with that um, show perfection on it too. Yeah, and eventually we took boards over there. And <clears throat> I had stashed, you know, eight foot boards, eight sixes 
over there to ride a wave in Indo and it was a big, beautiful wave. And, and that's kind of where I learned to, to really surf big waves and big bow. Yeah, Bauer. I mean, I yeah, I've been to Asu before the earthquake, but not to Bauer. I, I surfed Bauer after the earthquake, and yeah, the power is is incredible there. Um, yeah. You say it's one of the best big waves you surf. That's uh, yeah, that's that says something. Had some pretty epic tubes at Nias, no doubt, Twig. I did. I did back in the day. I haven't been for a few years. Um, Have you been there since the quake? No, I haven't. I, and, I, and I watch the videos and I think it's just exactly my type of wave, but it looks a little yeah. crowded. So I've got, a, I've got another wave that I go to that's fairly similar um, in, in, in the Mentawis, um, yep. but we don't put any videos or anything of that. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Twiggy mentioned you came to WA a while back. Um, we had uh, Paul Ant-Man Patterson on the podcast uh was it December? Yeah, recently. Yeah, and he told us a few stories. He actually told us the, the story of probably the, the, the biggest and the worst wipeout of his life at the right, and I think you whipped him in on that one. Yeah, you pulled him into it. <laughs> I, did. I did. I almost ended Ant-Man's life. His wife would have eaten me alive. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's such a weird day that day. He, he wouldn't put on his inflation vest. He was like, we, we pulled up then, it didn't look that big. And he was like, he had his like the little vest over the top of his wetsuit and it was kind of his turn to go and he took it off. I was like, what yeah. are you doing? He's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't need this. And I was like, are you sure? And then, yeah, right after that, he had the worst wipeout. Of, well, I didn't actually see it because I towed him in, but I, I think he had two waves and I pulled him out by his hair. He said he did like a million spins underwater and he came up, he was... He, he was, yeah, he wasn't unconscious, but he wasn't swimming properly. And I had to grab him by the head and put him onto the, the back of the ski. Well, is that why he's bald now? <laughs> <laughs> he must be completely bald now. I haven't seen yeah. the... Oh, he is, mate. Yeah, if, he, if, he, if he had that wipeout now, he'd still be swimming around there if he tried to grab him by the hair now. <laughs> oh, but those photographs afterwards, you know, the right is such a weird wave. And I've only surfed that once and I'll never go back there again because... I also hurt my shoulder that day. It was a it was a bad day. Yeah. But when I was when I was towing into the waves, they didn't feel that big. And then you saw the photographs after. It was like holy shit. Yeah, it's a it weird, weird wave. Yeah, it's so it's weird. A... <laughs> and it's over so quick. Yeah, you don't even know you're in the barrel. It's like, and it's over. And it's like, I don't know if that's worth it. I mean, those guys are so gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I know what you're saying. It is short. Uh, it's a really an epic photo, but for such a crazy risk. It, um, it's yeah. the risk versus reward. I'll never forget doing a course in Hawaii, a, 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 a towing course where you, that you have to do before you're allowed to tow surf. And I remember the guy going on about risk versus reward, and that way it just didn't seem like it to me. <laughs> kind of like Nazare too, risk yeah. versus reward. Uh, not not approved by the local uh, jet ski big wave surfing uh, corporations. <laughs> didn't get didn't get the tick of approval that one. <laughs> yeah. Did you get many good waves uh, when you were in WA when you were over here? Uh, I I have had fantastic waves before. Um, yeah, I mean I've done the whole trek. Um, you know, up to Nalu and the Bluff. I camped at the Bluff one August September for for a good few weeks and. I've had fantastic waves there and uh, I love the area and yeah, great friends and that. I need to get back. I need to yeah. get back soon. The problem is 
our waves are pumping the same time as yours. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and then nowadays with, you know, with the family and everything and the commitments, I, you know, I can get a two, three week holiday um, during our winter and I go to Inda where it's warm. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> Mate, this has been the first year, well, actually last year, it's the second year now that, uh, yeah, we haven't been in Indo. Yeah, we've, yeah, I mean, it's been great being at home, but um, yeah, we've been missing it. Yeah, that's for sure. But, mate, you spend a fair bit of time in Hawaii still, don't you, At the, in their season? Yeah, so um, I'm kind of here from April through October um, for our winter, South Africa, Africa. Um, yeah. And then uh, October, November through March, I spend in Europe, California and Hawaii, but I base most of my time in Hawaii. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of go through Europe in end of October, November. And then as soon as it starts getting cold towards the end of November, I go over to uh, Hawaii. I base myself in Hawaii. I fly the, fly the family in and we spend December, January, February together in Hawaii. And then I do side trips to uh, 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 California, to Mavericks and Baja, uh, Todos and all the rest. Yep. And then March, I traveled back through uh, Europe, back home. So it's kind of the perfect yeah. route. And then I'm yeah. away from that a lot and I get my work done. Um, you know, it's, it's fantastic, amazing. Europe is, I mean, Europe is blowing up. Uh, uh, so many big wave spots, so many good waves. Not uh, too many surfers on the on the on the outskirts. You know, there's still a lot of waves to be found, and and especially on the islands around there. You know, Morocco. I mean, there's just waves everywhere there in in, in the north. You know, and uh, cool. I, I can see myself in the future spending more time in Europe and less kind of in Hawaii and uh, California going forward. How does uh, Safi in Morocco stack up against some of your right hand? You're in the live in the world of right hand point breaks. How does, I know, uh, you know, I said Morocco, and then as I said it, I was hoping you were going to ask me a question because I've never been to Morocco. Oh, really? <laughs> there you uh, go. It's really, hard, it's really difficult for us to get visas. Um, uh, the European, country, European countries kind of use those more than African countries as a buffer from for the Africans kind of coming through and trying to get into Europe. Oh, yeah. So that's super difficult for us to get visas and you have to get them six months in advance. You can't chase a swell. So that oh, kind of kept me, kept me out of Morocco all these years. But that Safi wave looks unbelievable. Trying to keep all the Africans out of Europe and you're just another African trying to get in and out at the top there, aren't you, mate? <laughs> they're not on you. They're on you. <laughs> um, Tweet, just on the competitive surfing, what is the current status with the WSL Big Wave Tour? Um Oh, yeah, the current status is, yeah, the current status is, is non-existent. Obviously, yeah, you know they were cutting it down and cutting it down um, over the years uh, for reasons that we can't quite grasp yet. And then COVID really put a nail in the coffin. You know they had to cancel Nazar and, and, and Jaws. Um, but uh, we've had a few meetings with them lately. We've we started up a surface kind of union group, a big wave group uh, to kind of you know. A show, show combined uh, um, unity, uh, yeah. unity um, that we can negotiate with sponsors and stuff. And we kind of going to, you know, we're getting to a stage where um, obviously we want to work with the WSL, but we just want to use them as a platform and we'll do everything else. You know, we'll, we'll do the awards, we'll bring in the sponsors and all of that, and then we'll use their platform. And they seem a lot happy with that. Yeah. Um, they, they just can't do the work at the moment. Um, Obviously, you know, the, the, 
financially they're, they're in, a, in, a, in a bit of trouble. So uh, we've said, look, we'll take that back with you from you. We'll use your platform and it seems to be going in the right direction. And hopefully we'll be announcing something soon for a, a much bigger and better uh, 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 big wave awards, um, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, really breaking it down, getting the judging correct, um, doing regional awards so uh, and bringing in judge, make sure there's judges from all regions like Australia, South America. So it's not just being judged by, you know, Californians and Hawaiians being judged worldwide. Um, yeah, a lot of big plans in place and we've got some really exciting new sponsors on board. So there's going to be an announcement pretty soon. Oh, cross fingers, mate. That all works out. So it's been pretty hard to get into the, uh, when, when the big wave world tour is on, like pretty limited spots and there's no qualification route as such. Um, it's more just, you know, who's, who's charging and all that, I guess. I'm not sure who chooses it, but I, I know it's, it's pretty hard for a, a young Aussie to get on the big wave world tour. Is there anyone that is, is knocking on the door that you guys are aware of? You're pretty involved in, in that process, I would have thought. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's the same for kind of everywhere, really. You know, a, a kid from South Africa or Australia or Peru or Chile, yep. um, you know, guys from there were dominating the world tour for many years. Ramon Navarro, Gabriel Villaran from Peru, yep. Ramon from Chile, um, Ryan Hipwood, um, you know, uh, myself in South Africa. Uh, and now there's really no chance for, for our young guys to go forward. So I've been pushing really hard super hard for that, you know, um, uh, and that's going to change. And there's going to be, there's going to be proper qualification routes through the big wave awards where every year you'll submit the waves that you've ridden and yep. there'll be a proper judging panel from all the countries that'll just decide who's, who's performed the best, you know, who gets, who gets to go in it. Oh, that's pretty cool. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. Sure, sure, I think surely Russell Bjorki would be on, on the radar of the, Big wave. Well, Russell was in the events before they closed it down, and I mean, he was he was a shoe in for any event that was going to run. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, Russell for sure. I mean, we need, we need one guy to go for at least. I mean, <laughs> we'll go for you too, Twig. Don't worry, mate. But uh, be nice to have well, Laurie Tanner, Laurie Tanner, incredible big wave surfer. Um, yeah, obviously, Jamie Mitchell's still right up there. I don't know if he's considered Australian. Or well, he, he's got the Hawaiian flag next to his name every time he competes. So, I don't know. okay, so he, he's jumped ship. He's, ba he's <laughs> bailed on us, man. So, yeah, we want to see the Aussie flag flying somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, I guess, you know, you've won three big wave world titles, you know, 2014, 17, 19. Does any title stand out more than the other or are they all just as sweet? Um, did you have, what was the most memorable sort of contest moment you had during those three world titles or, or maybe you had um, several? You know, uh, winning, winning uh, that second one at Mavericks was big for me because it was quite a few years apart. Um, and it just, you know, gets kind of sweet as you get older and you're beating the kids. You know, each each year that I won, I, I won a contest. So that year I won 2013. I, I had to win Mavericks. Um, the 16, I won that beautiful contest at uh, Port Escondido, which yeah, was, was amazing. Uh, Just 15 foot barrels. You know, insane waves. Um, that's probably still my most memorable contest. Just getting spat out of these huge barrels during a contest was amazing. And then uh, I had to win Nazareth to win the. The, the, the latest one and that was 
that was cool because a few years before I just wrote Nazare off. I was just like, this place is insane. Someone's going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I was really afraid of Nazare. And so to yeah. kind of a few years later, come back and win that event, that was also, so, I mean, they all, you know, they all had their moments and they all, they've all been, they were all super cool. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would say I would say that Port Escondido contest. Now that I think about it, is there um is there a pretty good chance of Port Escondido getting back on the tour? I mean, it was only Jaws, I think, last year or whatever. Yeah. Last time around, wasn't it? I know it's pretty hard, especially in the world that we're in. But is it yeah? Is it always uh, on the radar to try to make make up part of the tour? No, hundred percent. We're going to try get you know a few contests back on. I mean, what you need is kind of you know you need Kind of 12 contests in a year on the schedule. That'd be cool. And then well, you look to yeah. you well, know, you've only you ever really busted run, out about three before, haven't you? In no, you, need, you look to run six of those in, in in primo conditions. So you're not if you've only got three or four events, you're kind of forced to run those four no matter what. So then you kind of start looking for sub subpar days. But if you've got 12 events on the calendar and you say, okay, you need to run a minimum of six. Oh, then yeah. you can really cherry pick. Okay. You can really cherry pick. And also we need to have some of the more exciting ways in there. You know, we need to have a paddle way paddle event at Shipstones. Um, we need to have a paddle event, uh, you know, at, at at some of these kind of 12, 15 foot super barrel waves, Nias, Shipstones, uh, uh, Porto. Um, and then obviously the dungeons, the jaws, the Nazare, um, the Mavericks are important. Yeah, for the big ones, but then we've got to bring in these these other ways. Cloud uh, break, as well. that'd be good. Okay, cloud break, cloud, so cloud not? break for sure. That'd be unreal. Um, okay. Yeah, that'll be unreal. Nias and cloud break and, and Porto, can you imagine? Yeah, it'd oh, be all time. Um, just on um, you know, just on big wave events that you've been in, and and I noticed that the heats are generally like six man heats. Who's the most competitive surfer that's pushed you? through your uh, contest um, career so far? There might be more than one, but... Um... Yeah, I think in the beginning, uh, definitely Carlos Burley, he was kind of the fiercest competitor. Um, uh, you know, just no prisoners paddle you down, paddle on your inside. It, you know, back in the day, the contests were um, a lot more gentlemanly. You, you kind of knew whose wave was next and, and you weren't, you know, you weren't hustling each other. And over the years, they've slowly started to get more and more and more competitive. Um, and Carlos Berlin was probably the first guy to, to start really, you know, bringing that com- competitive spirit into it. And then, you know, the Hawaiian guys, once the Maui guys got involved and Makua, <laughs> uh, Billy, you know, I mean, those guys are fierce, fierce, yeah. fierce. And uh, yeah, I mean, so there's been different guys. So I guess it was Carlos early, then it was kind of Makua, and now it's it's Billy Kemper, definitely. It's been yeah. kind of that's the, you know, the progression of gnarly guys. <laughs> so when you're sitting out at Jaws in a heat with Billy and Makua and, you know, Nathan Florence, whoever, who's priority? Who gets the wave? If you're out in a heat with the Hawaiian guys, at Jaws, what's the priority? Well, they've, they've definitely got priority. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, diff- it's different than, it's different in Hawaii. Look, for me, I mean, I've never been a local at any of these ways. Um, you know, I don't kind of have a local big way spot. Uh, Dungeons is my spot, but, um, 
you know, it's still in Cape Town and I'm still not a local there. But, it's still uh, 10 hours away or something, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, for me, you know, it's, um, I've always had to kind of uh, pick up the scraps. And what really worked for me at a lot of these waves is taking one of the first two waves of the set. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's worked for me in competition too. And often, um, especially at Mavericks and Jaws, I don't know if I should be telling you this. No, yeah, it sounds but, like sounds like you're about to give up your heat strategy. Twig, don't go that far, mate. Jeez. I don't know how many other people are going to go in the first wave of the set at Mavericks and Draw, so maybe I'm safe. Yeah, yeah I I've kind of been, I've kind of been forced into it over the years. So, um, and and both those waves, funny enough, the first waves can be the cleanest and the best um, until the wind comes up at Jaws. But uh, that's another story. So I've never yeah. done well in a final. That freaking wind at Jaws in the finals and insane. If you haven't drawn grown up on Maui, then you have no idea what 20 knots up the face and a 25 foot wave feels like. It's insane. Those guys, yeah. you watch those guys, what those guys do in that final, and it's it's actually mind blowing. I get to the finals and I, I, I literally I know that there's no way on earth I'm going to make a wave. <laughs> and I just watch these guys and they're still going, they're still going and they're still making their waves. And it's 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 it's, it's awesome to watch and be involved with, but uh. Yeah, so that's what's kind of kept me going. And, and uh, even now today at Jaws and Marys and doing the contest, I'm often looking at that first wave, which no one else is looking at. Yeah, because, mate, you know what it's like, even on a even on a six-foot day at your local, mate, you've, and you can see a, a set's coming and you're like, if you paddle for that first one, you're like, in your head, you're just going, fuck, I better fucking catch this one. Like, you really know that <laughs> just, there's nothing worse than... Just missing it and turning around and the bloody spray clears from your eyes and you just see a dark lump coming at you. And that's in a six to eight foot day. So imagine, yeah, that that feeling at Mavericks or something on a 30 footer, mate. I'd die of fright. <laughs> I'm actually dropping a little edit on next week on Surfline. Oh, yeah? Of, of, the, of my wipeout at Mavericks this year. I put a little bit of stuff out about it, but we've been working on a really cool edit with some amazing uh, drone footage. Oh, yeah? And yeah exactly what i do at mavericks I, I go on the first wave of probably the biggest set um, 10 years at mavericks and i don't make it and i take the next four like 60 footers square on the head it's pretty good oh. yeah. yeah well we're about to we were about to ask you about the mavericks swell. you don't like me you can have a good laugh yeah <laughs> well this year you had such a good season there but just before we did i just wanted to ask you um Mate, you've got your tits out there at the moment, having no shirt on, and you're looking pretty cut for an old boy there, still twig. What 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 is your regime training wise like, mate? Are you do you just do heaps of stuff outside of surfing? Are you just surfing heaps and you know how does it what are you doing? Waves, raids, and babes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Easy. <laughs> uh, uh, look, I mean. Obviously, when you met me, we we're in our 20s and early 30s, and we were just wild, you know, animals surfing, drinking, partying, carrying on like like wild men. But then kind of as I've got older, I realized, well, if I want to keep surfing, basically, you know, not even competing, but if I want to keep surfing and keep getting barreled, then I better start looking after myself. So in my, in my 30s, I started drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Uh, and then in my 40s I was like okay I better get serious and I I, I got a personal trainer about eight years ago yeah in 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 Belito and that that was a game changer for me um you know I've had quite a few injuries that I've had to work through it with him and he's yeah complete game changer but then I think you know kiteboarding I love to kiteboard I love to uh 
to do SUP downwinders. Um, foil boarding is amazing for the, you know, yeah. stamina and, and fitness and, and strength. So spearfishing. Yeah. Um, so they, I'm just staying yeah. busy in the ocean and training twice a week in the gym. Oh, okay, that's, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. yeah, I was going to ask you, are you doing like little stuff out of the water every day or it sounds like you're pretty busy in the water. So yeah, a couple of times at the gym and a heap of water stuff and keeps you going. Yeah. It's a struggle exactly. isn't it? yeah. <laughs> to stay in the water. That is. So we, we all know about it. I'm on the injury list at the moment. We're all trying to do what we can oh. out of surfing to, um, to stay in the water in the long term. you know? So now early winter injury, what injury is it? Oh, I did the knee. Yeah. So but, uh, how long? Yeah. Oh, I had an ACL, so I'll probably be a while. Is, is but, it a few uh, more months? Yeah, a few yeah. more months. But anyway, I'll just live vicariously through T-Bone here, <laughs> which I tried to do today. And I came in, there was really nice waves today. And I'm like, give me some froth, T-Bone. Where was the surf? And he, he said he blew it and uh, didn't get a surf. So yeah, I can't even south and swell, like, I, can't, I can't even get a good surf <laughs> through T-Bone at the moment. <laughs> I'll make it up for you tomorrow, mate. Okay, make thanks. Tomorrow. Too much yeah, north, south, east, west in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, back to the the Mavericks, mate. It was such an amazing year. Like, obviously, it's our summer, and we follow it. There's a lot of coverage of it, so we get a pretty pretty good look at it all. It looked like an insane season there. Tell us about it a bit. We had six weeks in a row that Mavericks broke every day. Wow! Now, you go through a season where you're lucky to get six days. Yeah, right. Different times. Wow. In the season, six weeks every day, Mavericks broke and what that did it gave us the chance to really fine tune our, our our knowledge of the wave and then you saw it in the performances on that on that on the on those big days yeah. so all you know the only coverage that came out were kind of from the big days but we had you know and those are 25 30 foot plus days hawaiian and but we had so many 15 18 foot 20 foot days in between that we yeah. were just just honing our skills honing our skills and, and i mean you saw it uh, uh, Pete Mel did on that wave, and a few other guys just rode some incredible waves, and that's that's why I don't think we've ever had that that opportunity in any of our lives to serve that many big waves for, for that long. And it just you know, it it was an amazing experience. I actually did the first two weeks, and then I went to Hawaii for two weeks, and, and Hawaii was pumping. That's when we got those beautiful outer reef days. Oh, and yeah. then I went back to Mavericks for the second two weeks, and uh, for the for the last two weeks, and the yeah, I mean, just so many big waves, and uh, it, it was amazing for the sport and for us and for the growth, you know. Was 10th of January like the biggest day ever um, at Mavericks? Biggest paddle day ever. There's been bigger days when the guys have towed, but that was the biggest uh, paddle day ever by far. And uh, to be honest, none of us caught a wave, made a wave at its peak. So we, we caught a few in the morning as it was coming up until about 10 a.m. And then from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., there were only wipeouts. Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, probably only during that whole five-hour period, there probably five guys trying to attempt a wave on the main peak, and none of us made one. And in the afternoon, as the period started dropping, then the guys uh, uh, caught some again. And it was just too big it got too big and too heavy it was it was 20 foot at 20 seconds and yep. it was just the gnarliest biggest fastest moving waves you've ever seen guys are kind of, yeah it was it, it was insane but uh 
you know, we, we gave it a go. I think, you know, Jamie Mitchell had a really bad wipeout. I had a really bad wipeout. Oh, no, there was one that was made, the goofy footer. Uh, now I'm going to forget his name. And he's a good friend of mine. <laughs> That's all right. Move on. It'll come, it'll come to you later. Yeah, he, he made one. He made one. There was one made. I apologize. Oh, yeah. um, it wasn't one of the biggest sets, but he made one. Um, and yeah, I mean, what an incredible day. Uh, so, how long did you spend in the water that day? Did you sit there the whole way through? You just come back for little breaks on the boat, or what do you do? So, I paddled out first thing and I got two, two bombs right off, off the bat. And then I kind of went and, and I said, uh, I'm going to wait for, a, for for the biggest wave of my life, you know, I need to catch. <laughs> and I went and waited on the second and third reef out there. It's oh. just this crazy place to sit. And uh, uh, eventually one came and I thought I could make it and I, and I didn't. And I got absolutely beaten. You'll see that next week on Surfline if you're interested. Oh, okay. um, yep. and, and then I went to the boat, back to the boat for about two hours. And then I paddled out again and I got another just absolute beaten and wow. that was me i paddled out for the for the evening session i just yeah so four waves two makes in the morning and then two of pretty much the worst wipeouts of my life wow how Crazy. does the body feel after two wipeouts and that was a know. bad one so generally i can take wipeouts pretty well but i was beaten up the next day and there's no time to rest we actually surfed again the next day and for the whole week after that it kept pumping but I had really bad whiplash. I obviously had, a, 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 had not luckily not a severe concussion, but it's, I don't know if you can call it a concussion slight, but whatever it is, I had a, I had a concussion. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was beaten up. I was sore. It felt like I'd been in a MMA fight, really. Oh, with Brock Lesnar <laughs> or someone, right? <laughs> yeah, it felt, like I'd been, it felt like I'd been punched by Mark Tyson and then kicked in the balls by Conor McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Conor McGregor, the dirty little bugger. Mate. So, yeah, at a wipeout at massive Mavericks like that, I guess you, you no one ever really climbs their leggies anymore, do you? Because you got the canisters on, or I mean, what are you doing to, you know, when you're um, underwater and trying to get back up? You just you're just looking to pull your your vest and get that inflated, and just relax and just uh, so on the wipeout. On the first wipeout, I thought for sure it was going to be a two-wave hold down. So that's kind of what I'm talking. You know, you're just talking to yourself underwater. Just relax, get the vest, pull the vest. This is going to be a two-wave hold down. This is what you trained for. It's all going through your head. You're going oh, to be yeah. cool. You're going to be cool. But uh, I popped up just before the second wave. And then once you don't have a two-wave hold down, then, you, you know, the kind of weight's lifted off your shoulders. And then you can really relax and kind of enjoy the, <laughs> enjoy the ride. I guess you're going to get pushed further away. and Yeah, yeah, and then you're getting pushed in. And then, I mean, the second wave counted me worse than the wipeout somehow, but I'd had my breath and it was, um, you know, it's, oh man, I wish I, I wish you could package that and yeah. sell it as a, like a, as a ride, you know, like <laughs> yeah. a Disneyland ride. Oh. You could package that shit and sell it. You oh. would make an absolute fortune because it's, it's probably the one of the most, Terrifyingly enjoyable things that anyone you know. <laughs> oh man, that's you know, you know, before all the um, the vests and all the safety equipment, do you think people were charging less or or, or the same, or or, or or do you think people are oh, now no, way more? Now. Way more. No, now. It's way more. Yeah. yeah, it's way more now. Just I mean, 
you know, look, a lot of people have said, oh, you know, these inflation vests and, and the jet ski and the good leashes. And that's why it's, it's the, the waves are more crowded and that's why more people are big wave surfing. And that's probably true. Probably a lot of people wouldn't have started big wave surfing if it wasn't for all the safety features. But at the same time, as I've got older, if it wasn't for the safety features, I probably still wouldn't be surfing big waves. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's, I think it's an amazing, you know, it's, you can see it in, in the levels of performance. I mean, guys, I mean, it's, it's hard to die now. I mean, touch wood, but <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty hard to die now. You've got all the jet skis out there. You've got all the eyes on you. Your leashes aren't breaking. You've got the inflation vest. Um, yeah. so you know the worst thing that can happen what scares me even more is, is a bad injury popping your acl and being out for a year yeah. um but uh yeah i mean yeah the level the performance levels have gone through the roof you, you, you can tell him it's because of the safety and it's because of the the, the, the better surfboards and, and everything together is kind of just bringing big wave surfing to 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 you know performance level high and high Mate, you mentioned performance levels. Who, in your eyes, is really setting the bar? I mean, hey, mate, you've been getting some bombs yourself, but who do you sort of take a notice of in setting the performance levels? Look, this season was all about Peter Mal and his performances at, at Mavericks. Epic. Um, and Mavericks hasn't had a good year for many years, uh, you know, a good season for many years. So it was awesome to have the, the spotlight back there. And Peter Mal was, was the man at Mavericks. And at the same time, Jaws didn't have a great season. We didn't have a great paddle swell there. We had that, that big toe day. Um, so the Maui guys who have been, you know, the top performers because they obviously the locals at, at, at Jaws kind of had to take a back seat to the Mavericks guys this year, which, which was fantastic to see. But overall, I mean, you know, Billy was injured this season. So, but yeah. before that, he was performing unbelievably well. Kyle Lenny, without a doubt, is, is leading the way shoulder to shoulder with Lucas Chumbo. So you've yeah. got that both both the same age, one goofy, one natural. And I'm sure if more of the big waves were natural, Lucas would be the standout performer and Kai would kind of be number two. But because most of the waves are are, are right, Kai's obviously, you know, it's it's a hell of a lot easier to surf big waves in the forehand in the backhand. And so those two guys are pushing each other really hard. Lucas' performances on his backhand are amazing. Um, Nathan Fletcher's is right up there. But... Uh, yeah, Pete Mel, the old boy, 52 yes. years old. He took the season easily. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you right then, actually, was, mate, that wave that Pete Mel got the tube, where were you? Were you at the back or on the boat, or where were you? In I, was, I was sitting out the back surfing, um, and Pete paddled straight past me. I was the deepest guy, and I thought I was pretty deep and, and, and pretty cool, but he <laughs> paddled past me and paddled another serious 100 yards deeper and further out than me. And, and I turned to the guy next to me and I said, uh, well, he's never going to make one from there. Really? What is he doing? What is he doing? And no waves had broken out there. There'd been a few like that kind of kept, but didn't really do it. And they just, the, the, the peak kind of splits apart mm. and you just left in the worst place. I was like, what is Pete doing? And this wave came to him. It was just the perfect wave. And when he was panning into it, I was like, wow, this, he's going to make this thing. And I mean, he surfed that thing so well. How he didn't poke at the bottom behind that crease. Yeah. Um, you know, how he got his bottom turning under the lip. Unbelievable technique, technical surfing. And uh, through the barrel, then once he's in the barrel, to relax like that in a 20-foot tube. is yeah. To me, it's the, it's the greatest big wave ride ever. Um, you know, there's been bigger waves. 
um, and it's been probably deeper tube rods, but that that is it. That that, that is the one. And yeah, um, special, yeah, noise, yeah. 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 And did the, did the channel just erupt with noise? Did you hear it and all just go? No. I saw the spits and then channel erupted and I saw him kick out and I saw him like this. I was like, holy shit, what just happened there? And I swear, <laughs> 10 minutes later, because obviously then we all went and sat to sit up. <laughs> and like 10 minutes later, before the next set came, the onshore came up and kind of blew it out and went all oh, weird yeah. and he was, he was gone and gone. It yeah. was a gift for, for his service to Mavericks for, for all these years. Amazing, amazing yeah. moment in big wave surfing. Is Pete Mel still the big wave commissioner? No, 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 he's moved on. I don't think there's a commission anymore. Right. There's not too many people working at WSL anymore. Yeah, that's right. Maybe Eric Logan. <laughs> specifically but... on big waves. They're not working on big waves, that's for sure. Yeah, bummer. Well, they better, Eric Logan better pull his uh, finger out of his butt and uh, start working on big waves. <laughs> Is there going to be. Are they coming to uh, West Oz? They're they are. To West they are. They, they've got two events planned in Margaret River and Rottnest Island. Oh, Rottnest. I remember. I read that, eh? Yeah, oh, yeah, so you, you did, have right. you been watching Newcastle? It's probably not really worthy to watch, but you watched it. You would have watched Geordie or Matt. Off. Yeah, uh, I was disappointed for Matt. I thought he's, uh, but those ways are a little weak for him. He's a power guy. He is, yeah. Um, I think he'll do well in WA. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I thought Geordie got ripped off again, man. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I thought that last wave, who, who beat him? Oh, oh Connor Coffin. Connor Coffin. Yeah, they gave him a six five for that last wave. And oh, I don't know. I don't know. Poor Geordie. He really sometimes I wonder. I, I feel bad for him. Yeah, we were we were really excited when when uh Sunset was you know, obviously Sunset got cancelled. We thought this is Geordie's year because there was pipe, he's been a bit of time at pipe, and then we thought, yeah, sunset, he's got a good good chance at sunset, and then you know, Jay Bay and Bells, you know, it looked like a, it was all lining up for him. And um, yeah, I mean, he's yeah. still, I think it was still got a quarterfinal finish. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. watching the comp and I've been loving it just to see pro surfing again. But um, mate, what do you reckon? We love it in Jay Bay. I mean, we love it in Jay Bay. It's, I see Jay Bay's off the list. It's not on the list. Yes, yeah, list, I saw right? that. Yeah. It just got released today. Well, they put Mexico on it. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I'm, su I'm surprised they put Brazil. To be honest, um, I, I know it's a it's a massive uh, fan base. I guess South Africa is hard for everyone to fly. Yeah. I think that's probably so. So once they're in Trestles and Mexico, and it's all kind of there in, in the Americas. Yeah, I think it yeah. makes it a lot easier. And mate, what do you what do you reckon? You'd know Jordy pretty well, and probably watched him his whole career. Like, mate, has he got it in him? Can he win a world champ? Or do you think he can? And Obviously, you hope he can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think any world title that you win, the luck's got to go your way. You can do so much, and then you need a little bit of luck. You know, you need a little bit of, of, of one or two heats to go your way. And he's been unlucky a few years. But now his headspace, having a kid will either make or break you. And, and most times in the, in, the, in the beginning, it really gives you that, I mean, you guys have felt it, you know, it gives you that energy and that push to really lift yourself. Um, yeah, I think mentally he's a lot stronger and his surfing is better than ever. Yeah. Honestly, it's better than ever. It's it's really good. For me, I think his his main handicap is in heats like that, where he doesn't give 100%. He kind of holds a bit back. You know, where you watch Italo and that guy, every wave, every maneuver, 100% to the max from the first round to the last round. 
And I think sometimes that comes back to Horn Geordie in the latter part of heats, like that Conor Coffin. Conor Coffin should have not even, you know, he should have needed a nine, you know, not a 6.5. Yeah. yeah, the scoring was a bit, yeah, a bit, a, a bit off chops. Um, yeah, hard I, I, to score. Have you ever been a judge? Uh, yeah, I have actually at yelling up board riders. It's a nightmare. I'm not very it's, a nightmare. It. <laughs> it's a nightmare. You don't want to, you know. No. It's so you yeah. say, oh, the judging is bad until you've been a judge. It's a horrible job. Yeah. Hey, mate, just on, uh, we talked a bit about Mavericks. Now, Hawaii, um, obviously, you've been going there for how many years now? Uh, every winter for 10, 12 years. I get, yeah. Do you, who are sort of Hawaiian surfers do you uh, hang out with most um, since you've been going to Hawaii? Um, I surf a lot with the, the big wave guys. So I've kind of got my routine. I stay at Alligators um, on the beach there. I never surf pipe or, or, or that zone. Uh, just I get barreled enough when I'm at home and around the world. Yep. So I can't really concentrate on the bigger waves. So I surf alligators a lot when it's in that area when it's smaller. Um, and then as soon as it gets too big for there, then sunset's on and sunset's 10 feet. So then the crowd thins at sunset. And as soon as sunset gets too big, then Haliiva's on and Haliiva's at that 10, 12 feet range. So the crowd really thins there. Yep. And then as soon as Haliiva's too big, then it's all about the, the outer reefs and there's like 10 outer reefs there and you can really pick and choose and, and the crowd, the crowd. So, so I've kind of got Hawaii figured out and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much surfing with the, the guys that are on that same program. Um, you know, the, the big wave guys, or I'm just hanging with a few of the local guys around alligators and that. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I mean, I really enjoy Hawaii. It's fantastic. And this year was really a fun year. Pumping. I love seeing the outer no Aussie. special. There were no Aussies. Dirty bloody Aussies getting locked in our own country. Yeah. The um just on swells, the the I think they 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 named it the Ben Iper swell. It, it got a lot of uh publicity over here and jet skis were flying over the back. We were you surfing uh, that day in Hawaii then? Yeah, yeah. I actually just posted something today. I finally managed to get a clip. Um uh, from, from one of the uh, Eric Nutson sent me a clip. Oh, so that's um, that's during that big that Ben Ivers squad. Yeah, that same day. That's that same day um, out one of the outer reefs. Um, man, what a morning that was! Incredible, incredible. As big and perfect as waves get, you know. Not too big, like twenty feet Hawaiian, and just not a drop of water out of place. It was insane. It was insane. And then obviously I was sitting shoulder to shoulder with the. John John Florence and Carl Rossman and a few of those guys, and then watching them, their performance. I mean, John John is he's unbelievable. So good. Yeah. So good. You know, I've, I've surfed with a few surfers over the years in bigger, heavier waves, and there's three guys that stand out, out for me. I'm not talking giant waves, I'm just talking bigger, heavier barreling waves. Jack Robinson, Kelly Slater, and John John Florence. Nice. Their wave knowledge and their, their personality in the water and the way that they control a session and control a crowd within a heavy wave situation is something to uh, uh, behold. Well, and John John's the best. And John John's the best of those three. I remember surfing at Jack Robinson years and years ago in WA um, on quite a heavy day. Uh, I can't remember the My memory's going. And one of those waves, one of those waves here, and uh, I remember, so, and he was young, eh? he was in his teens, and I remember him controlling that session. There were 10 or 12 good surfers out there. 
And I remember him controlling that session when he was like 15 or 16. And I was like, this guy's the real deal. Um, but John John's better than all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's not many people that can surf from one foot to probably 30 foot and do it well and be the best in the world like John John Florence right yeah. now. He, he's... Well, Jack's the other guy. I've surfed, Jack, I surfed with Jack this season. Big, big way, big way. I've surfed with him at uh, Phantoms a few times in 15, 18, 20 waves. He's, he, he's an amazing big wave surfer too. Oh, Jack Robbo. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. We, we haven't seen any. We haven't seen much of that. Reefs, so that's, yeah, so he was out on the Outer Reefs with you a bit then, eh? Because I didn't oh, see yeah, a lot. Yeah, see, I didn't see a lot. Of There's no heavier wave than big um, Haleiwa. 12-foot yep. Haleiwa is heavy as it gets. It's as, it's as heavy as a 20-foot Outer Reef, and he, he dominates out of there. I had a couple of awesome sessions with him and John John as well. Where I was kind of the third wheel, and, and those two were going head to head at Haleiwa. That was big, twelve foot Haleiwa, amazing oh, to watch. Just on heavy water, Twig. What do you think's the most heaviest wave you've ever surfed in the world? Fuck that right, bro. That wave scared. I didn't like that wave at all. Eh? The the right is, oh, I mean it's so heavy. It's unbelievable. No one's drowned there. Yeah, I've been killed. Had their neck snapped. I don't know. Those boogie boarders, those guys, so nuts. Yeah, the right is the most. And then, I mean, Nazare is terrifying. Nazare is terrifying um, because you sit out at Nazare and it's like these huge pyramids. Like, I go to Nazare first before I go to Mavericks and Jaws. And after I've served Nazare, I get to Mavericks and Jaws and I'm like, oh, it's not that big. And it's like, you know, 20 feet. Only because Nazare comes comes in these giant pyramids that look 50 foot Hawaiian when they're coming towards you. Yeah. Obviously, when they break, you know, it's only 20 feet. But when they're coming towards you, they just look absolutely giant. It's very, very intimidating way, terrifying way. Right. And it draws the wind. So I, I guess there's lots of different, you know, waves are scary for different reasons. Mavericks, it's because it's such a slab takeoff. Uh, jaws because of the wind, dungeons, the sharks, whatever it is. There's always, you know, they've all got their little. Yeah, but. Uh, speaking of Nazare, I know Ross Clark Jones loves Nazare well. I think he does. He obviously hurt himself on the Survivor. Have you spoken to Ross Clark Jones and him sort of, you know, uh, I think he's he's been battling a uh, ankle injury, I think. still. He has. He fucked himself up doing some weird. Survivor. <laughs> So, mate, all this, all this crazy stories about massive, huge, scary things, which is what you're known for, but I'm sure you get plenty of perfection. That's why they call you Twiggy. Yeah. <laughs> um, mate, why do they call you Twiggy? Because <laughs> of massive, huge, scary things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Um, mate, <laughs> tell us about some... Yeah, tell us about some perfection stuff. You mentioned that you're only four hours from Mozambique at the start of the uh, potty. Um, mate, is there just bountiful right-hand points up there? And have you just had perfection up there recently? Or Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we're so lucky. And, and that's kind of now I get to wind down and, and, and just enjoy myself. Um, and that's why I've got the best job in the world because I've got to catch, you know, one or two 60-foot waves a year. And then the rest of the year I get to surf, uh, you know, <laughs> some beautiful barreling point breaks and uh, we are so blessed yeah so many good waves so few surfers it really is a dream and i mean we've got 
waves that look like Kira, you know, uh, we're very selective about what kind of waves are share on social media and we've got around africa i've probably got 10 world-class waves that i just keep to myself and a few friends and we just that's what i do for the next kind of six months is is mozambique pretty hard for say like the average aussie punter or whatever to fly into and rent a car and drive around and find some points is it dangerous or hard no no i mean it's 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 harder than australia but um it's africa you know, but uh, you can hire a four by four. You can look at Google Earth and you can mark out some some points that you want to have a look at and you can drive to them. It's uh, yeah. and everyone's kind of got a camp. You know, fishermen have been everywhere before us and they still go before us and they're still there. So there's yeah. a camp everywhere and uh, um, you'll have a whale of a time. And uh, we kind of need you guys. Africa needs tourism again. Mate. It needs, Is it, it open needs up again, Twig? Is it open now? Yeah. Still, is there still a lot of restrictions in South Africa, or is it getting better? Or um, no, no, we open. We're, we're fully open. We've got no cases, no new cases, hardly any deaths. We kind of went through the first wave, and we went through the second wave really quickly, because the majority of our population travels together in taxis, minibus taxis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what what it looks like is we've hit herd immunity um, without the vaccine. And we've kind of plateaued right off. So yeah, we, we're good to go. And the country's open. Everything's open. Uh, I think we've only got a curfew from 12 to 4 now. That's the only yeah, okay. restriction. Mate, we're good to go, but our Prime Minister won't let us go at the moment. We, <laughs> at, we've, we've got a travel bubble to go to New Zealand, and that's it. We can't... Well, yeah. you can go to other countries, but you've got to have a special reason or... Yeah, it's got to be work and work or for whatever months. the reason is, but... So, um, so yeah, you but need to that's what I was doing. I was working as a professional surfer. That's how I got to travel. You, can, you guys can get out of there. Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, Kelly yeah, got to India or something yeah, else. Right. Yeah. yeah ask him. I guess it. if you really try, yeah, pretty hard. You, you can. really try. But so, can you can you just travel? Are you free to travel everywhere around the world, basically, at the moment, um, with the yeah, South African yeah, government so like, letting you out? For for once, uh, being a, a world champion big wave surfer helped me out. So I, I would just I just wrote to all the uh, the uh, consulates around the world i told them who i was and i just got a special letter and, and that was it because sports people can travel and you're allowed to compete and stuff so yeah it worked out nicely for me yeah see and mate you got anything there too mate? you're about to rip into something okay, was, mate. okay mate well i was going to rip into something that's sort of a bit more off uh abstract um mate i just i, I like to get a, like a sick adventure story i'm sure you've had like probably 10 times more than the average man. But, mate, is there any particular little surf trip that you could maybe tell us a cool story about, a bit of adventure, something went wrong or, or something like that? They're usually the best ones where, you know, you get a yeah. bit of um, disaster and then I mean, get good Madagascar, Madagascar is probably my favourite surf destination, um, more so because it's, it's, it's more than just surf. I mean, it's probably the hardest country in the world to travel around. Um, Why is that? Just, just the, you know, no roads and, and just really, uh, you know, small little villages, uh, just no, you know, hardly any public transports, no roads, anything like that. But if you've got time and you want to go check a cool place out, Madagascar is amazing. And I, I've kind of been to Madagascar every year since since the 90s and and slowly but surely i've looked at every piece of coastline um yeah. 
in Madagascar. And we, I mean, there's something incredible set, set up. Just think of the east coast of Madagascar. Have a look at on that at Google Earth. It's pretty much exactly the same as the east coast of Australia, but no islands in the way to block any cyclone action. So yeah. during cyclone season, cyclones just spin off out of the Indian Ocean and just pump swell in there. And there's, I mean, there's Kiras and Snapper Rocks and just all up and down that coast, beautiful coral reefs, you know, like Philippines type setups. And But while I've traveled through there, we've had some tough times. And, and the worst one, probably we were on a boat and the deckhand, they were filming us surfing this little right hand uh, reef break. And the captain wasn't that astute in, <laughs> in waves, obviously. And uh, a set came wide and he punched and the deckhand went up and snapped his femur oh. on the rail of of, of the of the uh, of the boat Heavy. and uh, we had to uh, strap him to an sup we had to me and greg long had to set his leg first of all then strap him to an sup and six of us had to carry him for four hours in the dark to the nearest town oh. so that they could get a car and to take him to the to to the nearest well, hospital oh, had to yeah. find out um, and that was across rivers like crocodile infested rivers, shark infested rivers. That was pretty, pretty naughty, but we saved his life. He survived. Wow. So you're carrying him on a stretcher through the jungle and stuff at the night. And, and then, hey? oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And, yeah. and just trudging through the jungle and crocodile infested rivers. That sounds pretty mental. <laughs> yeah. Greg's told me about um, a little block of land you guys bought in Madagascar. Yeah found a, a good point right there that you thought, have you still got that block of land? Yeah, yeah, we still got the land. Uh, obviously couldn't go last year uh, or this year, uh, uh, just that there's no flights to, to Madagascar at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's- Have you got any I'm, plans? I'm only... Sorry, have you got any plans for that block? Are you, have you got a little, um, have you built a little- hut? No, we bought it from, no, we bought it so no one would develop it. So it's just sitting there, but we, we just got to, we, we put up a little, uh, we put up a tree house and a, and a little place that we can sleep in, nice. but uh, no plans to, no plans to build a condominiums. No, no, yeah, uh, uh, yeah cool. Uh, Twig, um, mate, just on another note, how's the how's the bar going? You still got the the rock and roll bar? Um, I actually ended up a partner in a few kind of bars and restaurants and clubs in Cape Town. Um, one of them made it through the pandemic. Tough, yeah. Um, yeah sure. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, the other ones we had to close, and and my, I mean, my little rock and roll bar, Aces and Spades, was very dear to our hearts. We had to close it, unfortunately. The landlord wouldn't help us out, and uh -huh. yeah, it, it ended up a bit of a mess. We owed a lot of money, and we had to close it down. But uh, luckily, the other one's still going, and hopefully, we'll be able to open it up again soon. Yeah, because Cape Town, I mean, yeah, I spent probably yeah about eighteen months in South Africa and uh, hung out in Cape Town a bit, fair bit. Uh, went. Uh, God, it was called the playground or something or other. There's was, there was lots of good bars back in the mid nineties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cape Town's a very fun place, very fun place, especially in summer. I'm never there in summer, but over summer it's a big, you know, modeling, advertising, um, you know, spot, film, film industry, and oh, I mean, it's just you know how beautiful it is. It's the most yeah, it's amazing place. Everyone's just partying, having a good time. It's it's fantastic. Camps play, all the whole things, awesome. Um, now, Twig, we, we have a couple of segments on our podcast. Uh, one's called the Clive Palmer Cup. Not sure if you know Clive Palmer, but basically he's a, he's a greedy politician from Queensland and he's an absolute wanker, as you can't stand him. 
So the, what the Clive Palmer Cup is all about is basically who's been the biggest dickhead uh, in surfing over the last month or who's just been a dickhead in general? Is it, is he, have you got any nominations? Fuck, dude. We have got an Australian mining company digging up it's probably, yeah, probably Clive Palmer, mate. That's what he does. He's a rich miner. <laughs> Digging up our beaches on the West Coast. So it's strip it's strip mining of beaches. It's a 50-kilometre stretch of beach that they're digging up. It would be the same as digging up the entire southwest coast of Australia, every okay. beach. Um, and they're busy doing it now. They paid off the government share. And we can't we can't stop them, bro. They <laughs> it's it, it's it's a type of mining that was banned in australia in the 70s mm. but the companies are doing it around the world and specifically in south africa uh, in africa they're just digging up pristine beaches oh, yeah. Well, and, yeah there's no way we can stop them and we've tried to we've tried to uh, you know appeal to the australian um, public to kind of help us but it definitely hasn't kicked off like fight for the buck but we haven't even heard of know, it mate. Haven't, haven't heard of it you know, all, you know? It's a problem. It's a, it's a major problem. I bet um, you Clive Palmer's behind it, mate. I think he just nominated Clive Palmer for the Clive Palmer Cup from the sound. Clive Palmer, yeah. Mate, he is. Big... Yeah. I'll send you guys some information on it, maybe if you can talk about it. But, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's heavy. It's heavy. Yeah, They're right. actually busy right now digging up a beach that I named after my daughter. Oh, Because wow. we found it. We found it when uh, Kate was pregnant with Billy. And yeah. it's... Probably one of the top ten beach breaks in the world. No way. And they're busy destroying it as we as we speak. Yeah. Because I guess hardly anyone surfs it on a regular basis. Eh? It'd be pretty isolated. No one's there. No one's there. There's no local people. It's just it's it's. But it's the most beautiful land. It would be like digging up the southwest of Australia. It's exactly yeah. the same. Jesus like digging God. up Budgie and and Buranup and yeah. What are they mining there? Just mineral sands, or do you know what they're up mineral to? Mineral sands. Bro. Mineral yeah. sands. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say the West Coast, you mean like right up just, just below the border of Namibia or that sort of West Coast? Yeah, so kind of the border of Namibia down to um, Elans Bay. Bay. Did you ever go up to Elans Bay? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Elans Bay is like two hours up from Cape Town and that's all developed. But from two hours drive to 12 hours drive is just desolate coastline. And it's been mined before, you know, the Diamond guys have gone through there. And there's always been sections of the coast that have been closed off and then they open and we can surf and then they close it again. And right now they're just closing down all our favorite areas and, and mining oh, yeah. them. And it's, oh, that's yeah, horrible. they don't let us in either. We're not allowed to go in and surf. Oh, fuck, that's terrible. Yeah. Wow. That's, <laughs> mate, I'm devastated. I'm devastated. It's, it's the Aussies. It's a depressing way to end the depressing way to end. I know. That's rough. I'm, I'm not happy about that. We're fighting a good fight. Yeah, if good. You have somebody. If you have mining people getting assassinated in South Africa, you know who it is. Well, hopefully it's Clive Palmer. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, mate, well, mate, on the flip side, we've, we, yes. we've got this thing called the Steve Irwin salute. You remember Steve Irwin, oh, the crocodile hunter? Yeah. Absolute yes. legend of a bloke, legend. So do you have any nominations for anyone that's, you know, done something really, really good? You know, that's someone that you'd give the double thumbs up to because that's what the Steve Irwin salute's all about. Double thumbs up. I think there's a lot of people uh, in South Africa working right now. I know Frank Solomon's one of them. There's the uh, Surfers Not Street Children program here, um, just to make surfing more inclusionary in this in, in in our society here in South Africa. It's it's 
for many years. It's, it's been a, a white person sport, um, initially due to cultural reasons and that, but, you know, it stems from, you know, economic factors. Well. Yeah, where black people weren't allowed on the beaches, which is quite yeah, ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, and but now we've seen this big movement, big wave of black surfers in South Africa, Zulu surfers, Causa surfers, um, and they're ripping and they're starting to win contests and they're getting sponsored. And guys, you know, guys taking guys off the street, street children, and giving them an opportunity to become, um, you know, valuable members of society and. Uh, there's, there's a bunch of groups, there's like 10 groups doing it and we're starting to, to, to see the fruits of it. And uh, I watched a, a junior grommet contest the other day and, uh, and, and the guy that won, exceptional, exceptional surfer. And it won't be long before we have like a Zulu Causa surfer on the, on the, in the top 44 world tour. Yeah, cool. Mate, yeah. just on the top 44, can we expect another big wave surfer to follow your path out of South Africa? Is there anyone coming up through the ranks? Yeah, look, I mean, uh, Matt Bromley's obviously a fantastic surfer, you know, um, and he's been knocking on the door for a while. So hopefully this new program and this whole new big wave um, awards, uh, it's, it's going to be a 365 a day program where, we, we, where we're getting content 365 days a year. And there's going to be leaderboards. So the, the waves are judged through the year and you can break onto the top 10 leaderboard. There's a whole lot of new innovative ideas coming and I think uh, if you're really committed and you're a young uh, big wave surfer mm -hmm. and you can get a guy with a camera to, to start shooting you I think your your route to the top no matter whether you're from Maui and you've got every camera on you or you're from South Oz or South Africa or mm -hmm. Peru if you're good enough and you can catch some big waves and you can um, uh, get it up online there's going to be a clear path for you to uh, to, to to a spot in yeah, big it's pretty, pretty. I mean, with all the way the world's been going, there's been a few online sort of comps. And geez, I tell you what, crowning a big wave world champ via a year of online entries is actually a pretty sick idea, really, yeah. isn't it? Like you yeah. can see, you can see how it would work. It would make logistics a lot easier for everybody involved. Just you know, some some dudes. Yeah, and then have, and then from there, you choose the, the the best 24 guys from that program to surf in maybe three events, you know? Yeah, it's like Jordan, a surf-off. Maverick, Nazare, you know? Or even better, three in the north and three in the south would be fantastic. But yeah. for now, you know, hopefully get two or three events back and you have like the surf-off, like the WCT. Yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah, treat the three comps as a surf-off. That sounds like a hell of a idea. And, mate, um, is there much push for Puerto Escondido this year? We're always pushing for Puerto Escondido. We're always pushing for events in Australia. Ships Turns is our, our spot of choice. We yeah. obviously always push for dungeons. Um, yeah. And I really want I really want to get Cloudbreak and uh, oh, Nias on the program as well. Yeah, because, I mean, um, it's coming into Porto season now, isn't it, in another month? It's not so. going to happen this year. No, nothing's going to happen this year. No, nothing this nothing year. Nothing's going to happen. Cool. Yeah. Oh, Twig, I think we'll probably uh, wrap it up. Unless, uh, uh, as he's got... No, mate. No, all good. Uh, just good to see you again, Twig, and have a chat. And, um, yeah, Ooh, thanks for guys. coming and joining us, mate, and giving us some cool insight into where you're at and where you've been and stuff like that. I'm sure you've probably got a million stories that we, we could sit here and listen to about. I like the adventure surfing stories myself. Can't tell but... that one. Can't tell those ones, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure you've got plenty of awesome surf trip stories. Yeah, but uh, thanks for coming in, mate, and having a yarn.
Cool. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. See you, mate.